Apostles' Creed. And we're going to be going over the part that professes belief in the Holy Spirit, the Holy, the Holy Universal Church, and the, <laughs> sorry, the Holy Universal Church, and the communion of saints. And um, I start out with a question. How many of you ever feel alone? That no one understands that you're bearing life's burdens by yourself. Well, the good news is God does not want us to be alone, and God wants to help us. And he does so in two ways, directly through the Holy Spirit and through believers. And we're going to be talking about that today. So join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray you do open our hearts up to receive your words that are meant for us. And I pray, Father, that as you speak, we hear, we believe, we trust. And I pray, Father, that uh, as we go through this today, that um, our eyes will be opened to the might and power of the Holy Spirit and what it means to be part of your church and to be part of your community of believers. So we thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for the Apostles' Creed that we've been going through that's all based on Scripture, that truly only a, a Jesus believer could confess. So thank you so much for this time. Amen. I'm going to share with you a story, or, or an experience, actually, that Linda and I had several years ago. And um, we were fortunate enough to go to Italy. And we were, while we were there, we were led to a museum up in a small town, and so we made an arrangements for a guide to meet us there. And so we get there on time, and sure enough, we get a text. And the text is a sec saying, we're going to, the, the guide, I'm the guide, and my car's not working well, so I'm going to be 20 or 30 minutes late. So Linda and I take it on ourselves to go through the museum by ourselves. As typical, wow, look at that sculpture. How can you do something so intricate with a block of marble? Look at that painting. It's so much more vibrant than the rest of the paintings. Wow, this artist paints landscapes that take you right into the landscape. And then the guide shows up. And the guide, uh, granted, this guide is quite familiar with the museum and has a great passion for the museum. So right away, as we're going through the museum, the, it's contagious, the energy that's being expressed. But then the depth of what she's revealing to us, what the artist was like, who the artist was, what they were feeling when they were painting this or, or sculpturing this, how difficult it was to get the materials that they need to make this painting so vibrant. All of a sudden, things are illuminated for us. We have depths of understanding, even to the point we had a greater appreciation. It was like being back in that era, being like what it was being like in Italy at that time. It was amazing, all the things that came to us. What's my point? My point is that that's similar, that experience is similar to us in life with the Holy Spirit. Linda and I represent, I hate to say this out loud, but we represent walking in self. We went through that museum, you know, not totally, but in that experience. <laughs> We went, through, we went through the museum on our own. 
And we got some things out of it, but we didn't get the depth, the illumination, the revelations, the understanding out of it. The contrast is when the guide came in. And the guide helped us experience things so dramatically and so much understanding, so much appreciation. And that's like, the guide is like the Holy Spirit for us. When we walk with the Holy Spirit, his desire is to take us into the life that Jesus wants us to experience. If you recall Jesus' words, I came to give life and I came to give it abundantly. And the Holy Spirit wants us to experience that. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is not merely a force or an influence, but rather is the third person of the Trinity. He is God, the Holy Spirit. And to get a better understanding of this, we're going to go to our anchor verse, which is John 14, 16 through 18. And I'll read it. And I will ask the Father, and this is Jesus speaking, by the way, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth and the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be, with, will be in you and I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now from this verse, we get the big idea. My big idea is the Holy Spirit our helper, unifier, and guide inside. And these verses are Jesus addressing his disciples. He's addressing them on the night right before he's going to the cross because he knows something. In a few hours, they're going to be shocked they're going to be filled with fear. And they're going to steal a line from Pastor David. They're going to have a dramatic plot twist. And then they're going to feel alone, abandoned, and they will be scattered. And Jesus knew this. So what did he do in these verses? Jesus is assuring his disciples that they will not be alone. Another divine person will be coming to them. And this divine person will be among them, will be uniting them together, will giving them revelation of the truth of what's happening. So encouraging them, strengthening them in the experiences that they're going to go through so they're prepared to go forward. And also, what's interesting when you read the scripture Jesus says, I will come to you through this person also. So who is this person? This person is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is kind of unique. He's not, he doesn't have a concrete persona 
like God the Father and the Son, he's hard to grasp. And in fact, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it refers to him as wind and as breath. Wind is unseen power and breath is life. And as Alex reminded us when he was speaking, without the Spirit, there is no life. So the, the, the Holy Spirit is intimate to our walk in life. So when does a person receive the Holy Spirit? So I refer us to um, Acts 2.38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. This was spoken at Pentecost. So the straightforward answer to the question, when do you receive the Holy Spirit, is when you declare your faith, I will read it right, receive the Holy Spirit the moment we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I want to emphasize something. When you receive the Holy Spirit, it is not a partial receiving. It's not a progressive receiving. You receive him in his entirety. So what does the Holy Spirit do? First thing we do, just to keep it simple, consider the names we just went through. He's our helper. We're not alone. He's our comforter. We're not alone. He's our guide. We're not alone. He's truth. He reveals truth to us. We're not alone. And so, that's a partial understanding of the Holy Spirit, but to go deeper, one thing I'd like for you to understand that he does is that the moment that we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. He covers us with Jesus' redemptive blood. He covers us with Jesus' righteousness. And he covers us with the living presence of Jesus. So he is actually just transforming us and helping us get there. But I say this, I want to add one more dimension to that. In Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, it says, We are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So that's the Holy Spirit confirms our, that we are God's entirely and forever. And he also confirms our destination is guaranteed. Any hallelujahs or amen to that? <laughs> so the Holy Spirit is dramatic in our lives. And, a and remember the third person of the Trinity. So now the journey, we know our destination, but we go through the journey. We're still on earth. And in that journey, a big part of it, is the focus is that the Holy Spirit is instrumental in the sanctification process causing us to be more like Christ and living a life that glorifies Christ.
So we just said that we have been reborn. And in us being reborn, which I don't think I actually did say that, so I apologize for that. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are born again spiritually. That was like a critical point, so I apologize for that. Um, and when we've been reborn spiritually and we're in the journey, we are being called to live more in the spiritual realm, which is contrary to our human nature. So picture this. You're going to somewhere. They speak a different language. They have different customs. They have different uh, culture that you're trying to go to. But you've been asked to be active in that place and to be uh, engaging. So wouldn't it be helpful to have an interpreter or a guide when you go there? So as we're being called to live more in the spiritual realm, wouldn't it be a blessing if we also had a guide, an interpreter, somebody to help us maneuver through the realm that we're now being asked to live in, where God's power is so readily available to us? Well, we have that person in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit not only knows the spiritual terrain, I'll give you a little insight. He knows the king of the spiritual realm. And so with that, I'm going to get us to go to a verse that just explains this so much better and so much more intimately. And we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 6, or 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 12. It's going to be on the overhead, but I'll read it. I ask you just to, and I'm going to read it slow, but to take it in the magnitude of what is happening here, what is God has ordained to happen and what the, Spirit, what the Holy Spirit takes us through and provides us with. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, which is us as believers. These things God has, has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person who is which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us. So think about that for one second. At the first, God is preparing things for us that we can't even imagine. And we know our God is a good God. So he's preparing great things for us that he wants us to receive and understand. And the Holy Spirit reveals those things to us. In fact, the Holy Spirit always has the big picture, for he searches the depths of God and reveals these things to us. 
embedded in there is that the Holy Spirit knows God's desires for us. He knows God's will for us. And part of his role is to take us into God's will. No better place for us to be. And the Spirit doesn't stop there. As dramatic to me as how that is. I, I just kept all week trying to take all that in. But here's some other things I'm going to go over with you to help you grasp the magnitude of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Spirit is always working on our behalf. The Spirit convicts us of sin. He reminds us of who Jesus is and all he accomplished for our salvation. He confirms truth to us through Scripture. He assures us that as believers, we are God's children and heirs with Christ. He moves us to bear witness about and bring glory to Jesus. He puts to death the things of the flesh, and he reproduces in us the things of the Spirit. Holy Spirit's always working for us. Now, part of my desire today is that we really believe this, and we really want to participate in it. You know, we've talked in some other sermons about once you're saved, don't be passive. Be active. We're being called to engage with the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you one more time in your confidence and belief in the Holy Spirit. Here's some other things to remember about the Holy Spirit. He was present and active at creation. He inspired all of God's spokesmen to write the scripture. He was the conceiving agent at Jesus' virgin birth. He, he was active and engaged with Jesus during his ministry and actually descended on him like a dove to confirm that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. So, if we see all these things the Holy Spirit's being, doing for us, shouldn't we desperately seek a personal relationship with Him? Because that was one of the things I wanted to make sure we understood. He's the third person of the Trinity. He is a person. Many people refer to Him as an it or a force. He's the person. And we're to relate to Him as a person. So what's our part in experiencing the Holy Spirit? Start out with an interesting comment. This is a sobering reminder to us. A sobering reminder to us is that we can have the Holy Spirit in us and yet know very little of his power and influence. That's an awakening call. And the reason is, and is not, so I want to confirm, it's not how much of the Holy Spirit we have, it's how much of the Holy Spirit, how much of us the Holy Spirit has. Because we have power, and it's dangerous. We have the ability to quench the work of the Holy Spirit. We have the ability to grieve the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? So we're beginning to move into a lifestyle that is contrary to God's will. 
The Holy Spirit's trying to convict us, call us back. We ignore it. It grieves the Holy Spirit when we move into a lifestyle that is an affront to God. The Holy Spirit is trying to, to give us God's will, reveal it to us, draw us into God's will. And yet, we refuse to engage. We, 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 we are determined to stay on our own path. We're quenching the work of the Holy Spirit. We have that power. So I'd like to say this to us. God will not force us to surrender to the Holy Spirit or to walk with the Holy Spirit. It's our choice. So that is one of the things that we need to be reminded of when we talk about what's our part? Make a good choice. And be aware it's our choice. And we're making a choice even if we want to be passive. So as I'm going to go through this next few sections, I'm going to use the words allow and cooperate. Because that's part of what we're being, our role is. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, and when he does, cooperate with him. Now here's what life, well, because I wanted to say one other thing. And that is, You cannot live the Christian life that Christ desires for you without the Holy Spirit. And when you try to do so, you will be frustrated and disappointed. And I'm raising my hand. How many times? Lord, I'm not going to do that anymore. I do it the next day. Lord, I promise you I'm changing. I'm changing. I will not I will not think those thoughts anymore. And then you do. Why? I didn't engage the Holy Spirit. It's a process to engage Him to help us, to change us, and to make us into what we, God wants us to be. We can't do it on our own strength. But now let's look at life when we do submit. When we are fully submitted to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to possess us, we begin to cooperate with him to change us. So when we're fully surrendered, he begins to change us. And he changes our desires. He changes our goals. He changes our view of life. He changes us as, as internally. And here's what is so exciting about that. We are being transformed to be more like Christ. We will experience things like more patience, more kindness, more loving. We'll experience joy and peace. The fruit of the Spirit will be emerging in us. But it doesn't stop with that. When we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we become a vessel that the Holy Spirit can work through so that we're being used by Him to expand the kingdom of God and to bless other people. How mightily that is. I will say this to, to us, to reminder. It's a daily submission. In fact, it says to be filled with the Holy Spirit is a command. And then it says elsewhere, we're to do that daily. So I want to offer a little 
guidance on some things that I've run across that I think are helpful in us getting in a posture of being submitted to the Holy Spirit daily. Now, when I came up with this list, I was really going, oh, these are nice things to do. I really think that those are great. But then when I got deeper into it, I realized here's what's happening when you do these things. And that is the things I'm about to say will take you out of self and get you more focused on God and others. And one of the critical things for us, our part, is to get out of self. And we need the Holy Spirit's help to do that, but we need a mindset and a posture to want to get out of self. It's funny how God works when you're doing a sermon or you're thinking about things. So I was laying in the bed like yesterday, and all of a sudden it brought back, my mother's words came back to me. You are sure full of yourself today. (laughs) And I think my response at that time was probably, yes, ma'am, I am. And I was proud of it. But when I was laying there in bed, I realized that's a hindrance to the work of the Holy Spirit. When we are full of self, there's no capacity for the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. So I was an awakening to me about that. So I, uh, I just think that was a great thought. I love how God works. <laughs> um, but here are the things that I'm going to mention to you. They are a lifestyle of worship. And what that means, and it was really perfect with how great thou art, that song. Really get in a mindset or an attitude of worshiping God for who he is, the magnitude of who he is. So we get a mindset that we treasure him above everything else in the world. The other one is pray continually. A verse that I first read years ago, and I'm like, that's impossible. But what is it saying? It's really saying you have the Holy Spirit in you. Take him with you all day. Be mindful of him all day. Lord, I'm getting ready to have this difficult uh, conversation. Let me deliver truth in love. Lord, I have this big challenge. Can you help me with it? Guide me in wisdom to understand what's happening here. Reveal the truth of the situation to me. All of these things you can do all day long. And so you're taking him with you. Another is having an attitude of thankfulness. Thanking God for all the things, small, medium, and big in your life. And what does that do? For me, it takes me out of grumbling and complaining. Myself, I get out of myself. We also want to develop an attitude of servant. And as, we, as Derek reminds us all the time, it's not about us. But an attitude of service means that we put others ahead of ourselves. And when we do that, the focus is on other people, helping other people. Now, here's the power of doing these things. As we get out of ourselves, there's a pathway for the Holy Spirit to do more and more work in us, to illuminate himself in us so that we're responding to him and cooperating with him. And when we do that, that's when he uses us 
to advance God's kingdom work and for us to bless others in a magnificent way and bring him glory. So as I'm getting to the end of this part, I want to say that what I'm, we talked a lot, but it's not complicated. It may not be easy, but it's not complicated. It's all about receiving, asking, and believing all of these things that the Holy Spirit does and desiring them in your heart. And as I'd said earlier, praying, seeking him with all your heart and praying for him. Because remember, it is God's will that we live and walk in the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. So if it's his will and we pray for it, do we not believe that the answer will be the presence of the Holy Spirit will be magnified to us? And we will be equipped to cooperate with him and follow him. So I end with that on the Holy Spirit side. But I say this, truly it is a glorious thing to live in relationship with the Holy Spirit. So as we now kind of transition to the church and the community of believers, I focus us on the title of the sermon <clears throat> Excuse me. Distinct but inseparable. The Holy Spirit, the universal church, and the communion of saints. <clears throat> now, I came up with that, but I do like it. So, <clears throat> But and the reason was, because as I, it came to me, was this is just confirmation of God's active plan for us and his active plan to expand his kingdom on earth and we're being called to be a part of it. So the first thing we profess is we believe in the holy universal church. The original creed uses the word Catholic. <clears throat> so if you pick it up somewhere else, you might see the word Catholic. The word Catholic means universal. But because the Catholic church, the Catholic religion is prevalent in society and quite often teaches a works-based salvation, we think it's confusing. So we just encourage the word universal, and, but if you see Catholic, just convert it in your mind to universal. <clears throat> but the truth is there is one universal church. So we are brothers and sisters throughout the world, different languages, different cultures, different customs, but we are one church. We have multiple churches in the Carson Valley area, and we're united with those that believe the right way. But we are unified in our belief. Ephesians 5, 4, 4 through 6. I, I don't have this one up, so I'll read it to you. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father 
of all. So you can hear the unity in there. And that is what believers all across the world believe. We are united in all of that. Now, I am going to repeat something that Derek repeated to me. It was thought-provoking, so I'm going to provoke you. <laughs> he said to me, you have more in common with a believer in Thailand than you do an unbeliever in America. So ponder that. This really focuses primarily on the essentials and the critical elements of life. But it caused me to think and caused me to appreciate a little more depth of intimacy with my believers, my brothers and sisters throughout the world. And all we have in common. <clears throat> so it encourages me to pray for them and it sure reinforces our mission work that we're doing here as a church because we are united together. And... <clears throat> When we say universal church, it means we share a right belief in Jesus. That all that we profess through the Apostles' Creed, we all believe in and we all stand firmly on. So as a church, we are not alone. We're part of the universal church. And then I look out at all of you and I say, you are not alone. For as part of the universal community, you are not alone. The Holy Spirit unites us with a local body of believers. <coughs> and here we are. How wonderful it is that we are believing together. We're, we're, we're going through life together, which is one reason our home groups. I'm losing my voice. He's going to give me a water. Um, but that's why home groups are so important. That's where we do life together. Thank you. Thank you, sir. My grandson, Jefferson. So... We are, part, we are, we relate to each other and we, um, we are really tied together. We're going to see that more intimately because what I'm going to do now, I'm going to take us back to Pentecost just for a second. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit gave out his power. My focus has always been he gave it to the apostles and they begin to preach. People begin to say, be saved. But when you read those verses carefully in Acts 2, we're seeing that immediately the Holy Spirit is uniting a diverse group of people into a body of believers. Although they're individually saved, the Holy Spirit is putting within them a deep, cease, a deep sense of desiring community. Because we see in Acts 2, right after the baptisms, it says... They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. All who believed were together and had all things in common. 
And then from the Holy Spirit's uniting work, an image of the church began to emerge. And a word like ecclesia was being used, which means called out ones. And when you go back to the Old Testament, those that were called out and separated for God were considered holy. So there's an overtone here of that word of holiness. And the holiness is between the union, it, it signifies the union of Christ with the church. He is the head of the church, and he is desires for the church to flourish throughout the world. And then embedded in there is that we have an understanding that the Holy Spirit's presence permeates the church. Because we see the mighty work of the Holy Spirit here and in other churches. He is unifying believers together. And one way he does that is he gives spiritual gifts. Now, spiritual gifts are given to every believer. And in fact, there's a point in Paul's, one of Paul's um, um, writings. He says, use your gifts. And the reason is because the gifts were given out purposely and very thoughtfully by the Holy Spirit's will to each one of us with the purpose of unifying us, maturing us, and strengthening us as the body of believers. And when we have that unity, we are just so more powerful. It brings back Jesus' word to me. They will know you by your love for each other and we become a testimony to the outside world. The other thing that the Holy Spirit does, and Jesus referred to it in our anchor verse, he's called the spirit of truth. And so the critical to us functioning as Jesus intended is truth. If we, have, if we are living, actively living out truth, we can be a witness to the outside world. And this, when Jesus is, I mean, the Holy Spirit is reminding us to stand firm on truth, proclaiming it and living it out, but he also calls us to guard the truth so that we are protective of the truth. We fight for the truth. We don't let false prophets come in or false teachers come in and distort the truth because a church that loses its focus and moves away from the truth of Scripture is no longer part of the universal truth, part of the universal church. How important that is to us. So the church is founded on the Lord Jesus Christ, called to in, to in, into existence by the Holy Spirit, and made up of a diverse people, and I should have said believers who are united into the family of God. A mighty work is happening with the Holy Spirit in the church and us as believers. So I close with this. <clears throat> when we are professing the Holy Spirit, we're professing he's the third person of the Trinity, and he's here to help us. When we prof profess the universal church, we're acknowledging Christ is the head of the church and that the mighty work of God is being done by the church and by the believers in the church when we are united together 
to progress his kingdom and to be a blessing to the outside world. And I also want us to remember we're not alone. So I will, we will read the creed together, and then I'll close us in prayer. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son and our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the grave. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. For there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So we're also going to be having communion today. And so just remember, this is your time of remembrance for all that Jesus has done. And incorporating that, I would think, would be the Holy Spirit, who is part so essential to our life and to the church and to the world, who's in perfect harmony with, with, uh, with Jesus and always wants to bring him glory. So I pray that as we take communion, our hearts will be in remembrance. We will be... Uh, surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit to guide us on how to pray and what to think about. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Uh, are we in? I think we're done.